join with me uh, as we as we pray. Let's do that. Let's pray. Our God, we recall the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119. How can a young man or a woman keep their way pure? It is by living according to your word. Help us, Lord, to seek you now with all of our hearts. Please help us not to stray from your commands. Help us to hide your words in our hearts so that we might not sin against you. Help us to rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Amen. Uh, one of the things I enjoy uh, doing is finding an online bargain, especially when it comes to books. I enjoy the fact that I can compare different, uh, different prices and try not to get ripped off. I, and I click uh, the, the buy button and there's, there's a certain joy that just fills my heart. And there's the, uh, then there's the eager anticipation until the package arrives. Uh, and the day comes where, um, and where we live, you can see the postie from uh, quite a fair, uh, fair way away. And then all of a sudden, I've got the package in my hands, and joy and excitement well up within me. And I walk around the house uh, showing everybody uh, my brand new book. Uh, and the thing is, we have three little girls and uh, who cares for them if dad's got a brand new book? They just want the bubble wrap because the bubble wrap, that's the thing that gives them joy, that brings joy to their hearts. But to me, I've, I've, got, I've got what I wanted. I'm glad because I've got this, this new book in my hands. But then all of a sudden, the joy wanes. It fizzes out. It's gone. And for our girls, well, the bubbles have all been popped. The joy runs out. I wonder if that has been your experience. You take delight or have joy in something or someone, but that joy is only temporary. It's fleeting. And so often our joy is determined by our circumstances, isn't it? Or can there be a joy that's not fleeting? Can there be a joy that's, that grows? Can there be a joy that is not influenced by our circumstances, no matter how difficult they are. Friends, our passage tonight shows us that there is. There is that kind of joy, and that joy is unique. You see, Christ's victorious resurrection brings about a joy that is permanent, that is progressing, and that is robust. How is Christian joy unique? It is a permanent joy in verses 16 to 22. It is a progressing joy in verses 23 to 28. And it is a robust joy in verses 29 to 33. And over the past few weeks, we've been listening in on Jesus' final words to his disciples on the night before his death. And next week, we're going to eavesdrop on a prayer, a very intimate prayer that Jesus prays to the Father in those final hours before his arrest. But what we have today is the last part of Jesus' final words to his disciples before his death. And Jesus' disciples, they're in a state of calamity and anguish as they've been listening to Jesus speak of his upcoming death. They haven't caught on to what Jesus is saying. Jesus' final words to his disciples speak directly to their situation. What they need to hear 
is of this wonderful and precious gift of joy that they will be given, that they will receive because of Jesus' victorious resurrection, this gift of joy, and this gift is unique. How is the gift of joy unique? It's unique because the first thing that we find out about it is that it's permanent. It's not like receiving that package in the mail with the joy that that is here and, and goes. No, look at what Jesus says in verse 22 in our text. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. The disciples will soon receive this gift of joy, and it's a permanent one. It will never be taken away. It doesn't run out. It's never exhausted because it is anchored in Jesus' victorious resurrection. And it's Jesus' victorious resurrection that ensures that Christian joy is permanent. And Jesus speaks of this victory. Did you notice verse 16 as we read it before? A little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. Very soon Jesus would be arrested. He'd be tried. He'd be crucified on the cross He'd be buried in a grave, and the disciples, they would no longer see him. But only for a little while. Because after a little while, they would see him. The disciples would see the resurrected Jesus. He would no longer be dead. He would have defeated the grave. He'd be victorious over death. But his disciples, they haven't come to grips with this, what Jesus is saying here, that they will be given a gift of permanent joy. And the thing is, we haven't really heard from his disciples until all uh, until chapter 14. They've had wave after wave of heavy teaching pressed upon them, but, but they're troubled. They're confused. And they're not game to ask Jesus what he means here. They keep their questions to themselves in verses 17 to 19. What does he mean by a little while? And we aren't going to see him again And in a little while. Well, what, what, is, what does he mean? What does he mean that he says, I'm going to the Father? We just don't know. What does he mean by a little while? And I wonder if you notice that Jesus is not harsh with his disciples here. He doesn't kind of clip him over the ears and, and tell them that you should have known better. And Jesus isn't aloof to their questions either. He's not distant to their questions. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, but they didn't. He doesn't leave them to figure it out. He loves and cares for them. They are dear to him. So Jesus answers their questions as he points them again to his victorious resurrection. And notice that Jesus doesn't sugarcoat the reality that he's facing the disciples either. He lays out for them the whole truth, words and all. He says to them in verse 20, Truly, truly, I I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. You will weep, Jesus says. You will lament. The world will rejoice. You see, when Jesus is hanging on that cross, it won't look like victory, will it? The disciples will be in a state of weeping, of lamenting, of sorrow. Their Lord would be hanging there, beaten, bruised, Shame, dying, and to rub salt into the wounds, the world will rejoice. They will say, we finally got him. We finally got that demon-possessed miracle worker, that illegitimate child. We finally got that one who claimed to be from God, who claimed to be God. They will rejoice because they finally got Jesus. The world will rejoice 
the disciples will be sorrowful. But Jesus says their sorrow will turn to joy. Now, that's remarkable, isn't it? Sorrow into joy. That knocks you for six, doesn't it? Sorrow to joy. And Jesus gives an, il an, il an illustration to drive home his point. And I love the fact that he gives an illustration because I don't have to think of one. He just gives the illustration. Look with me at verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. But Jesus never denies the pain the disciples will soon experience, but he helps them to look beyond the pain to the wonderful gift that they will soon receive, the joy that they would experience, much like the joy that the mother is drenched with as she's holding that bundle of, of joy in her arms despite her agonising pain. And let me say, blokes, we have no idea of the pain that women experience during labour. I've seen my wife Josie experience labour a number of times now, and it's hard watching her in labour. I have no idea of the pain and the anguish that she's experiencing. Sure, look, I might get my hands squeezed a bit, bit tighter than usual, but that's nothing compared to the pain that she's experiencing. But then there's that wonderful moment when the baby arrives into the world, our child. Josie tells me that there is this overwhelming joy that comes over her and penetrates and fills her heart. And she's holding that bundle of joy in her arms. She no longer remembers the anguish. Jesus says to his disciples in verse 22, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In their sorrow, the disciples will receive the gift of permanent joy because of Jesus' victorious resurrection. The grave will not have any hold on him, and the disciples will not be able to help themselves but rejoice. Their hearts will rejoice at the sight of seeing Jesus. Jesus says to them, I will see you again. He's assuring them that he will see them because, well, he's going to see them first. That's because of his resurrection. They will receive this gift of joy, and it's a permanent joy, because it is anchored in Jesus' victory over the grave. And let's just have a sneak peek of this. In John chapter 20, verses 19 to 20. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They received this gift of permanent joy. Now, I haven't, I haven't seen Jesus, and I'm pretty sure, going out on a bit of a limb here, you probably haven't seen Jesus either. Does that mean you and I can't have access to this wonderful gift of permanent joy? Well, of course not. We can be 100% confident that his disciples and many others saw him and they touched him and they talked with him and ate with him. Their testimony is true. He really did come back from the grave. He really was victorious. In fact, Jesus tells one of them who, who doubted in uh, John chapter 20 to Thomas, he says this, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Brothers and sisters, through faith in the risen Lord Jesus, we have this gift of permanent joy. Do you rejoice in that? 
Will you rejoice in that? You have this gift of permanent joy that is inexhaustible, that never runs out, because it is anchored in Jesus' victorious resurrection. And through faith in Jesus, you have this permanent gift of joy. Will you rejoice in that? Resolve this week to rejoice in this gift of permanent joy. So, So tomorrow morning... When you wake up and your hand reaches for that phone to check what Andrew Wirt has cooked for breakfast or, or to, to check who's won the, uh, the Ashes or the Ashes score or to check how many Instagram likes you got, before you do any of that, first rejoice that you have a permanent joy and then do that on Tuesday morning. And then on Wednesday morning, and then for the rest of the week, rejoice. The first thing that you do in the morning, rejoice that you have permanent joy. And when you sip that nice, lovely coffee, or bite into that, uh, that juicy, oily drumstick from KFC that gladdens your heart, give thanks to God for it, but rejoice that these things will soon pass And you have a permanent joy that will never be taken from you. And friends, for some who are sitting here, you may have wondered to yourself, I want that joy. I want that permanent joy, that real and long-lasting joy that gladdens the heart. Friends, through faith in the Lord Jesus, you can have that permanent gift of joy. Myself or Chris, one of the pastors, would love to have a chat with you what it means to have faith in the risen Lord Jesus. Or if you have any questions that you might like to, uh, like to, that you have, you can come and have a chat after the service. Or you might like to fill out your details in the, uh, in the Connect card, that blue and white card, and have one of the pastors ring you during the week. Or read the Bible with someone to find out more about Jesus. You can have permanent joy. How is the Christian joy unique? We have seen it's unique because it's permanent. But not only is it permanent, it is actually a progressing joy. Uh, We live in a a second-story unit, and to get to our place, we've got to climb 16 stairs to get there. Yes, I I know, uh, we've counted each of the 16 stairs. Uh, You've got to put one foot in front of the other and progress up the stairs to get to our place. A Christian joy is unique because it is a progressing joy. It is a joy, if you like, that climbs up the stairs to reach a goal, to reach fullness. See there in verse 24 in our text. Until now you have asked uh, nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus wants his disciples' joy to be progressing, to be moving forward to fullness and to completion. He does not want their joy to be stagnant or immobile. The disciples have been given this gift of permanent joy. Jesus wants them to progress in joy, for that joy to climb forward to fullness. And Jesus does this as he helps them to see the wonderful relationship with the God of the universe that has been opened to them because of his victorious resurrection and all the privileges and benefits that come with that grand relationship, especially the privileges of asking the Father and the promise that the Father will give. He says to them in verse 23, 
In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father, in my name, he will give to you. And he speaks of relationship with the Father that that will be opened in that day. They will ask in Jesus' name, in line with Jesus' work, his word and his person, and the Father will give. And again in verse 26, in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will not that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Jesus will not be like a messenger boy bringing requests to the Father on the disciples' behalf. They will have full and unlimited access to the Father, where they can ask and the Father will give. When will this happen? In that day. The day that he sees them and they see him, that is anchored in Jesus' victorious resurrection. They will realize that all that Jesus has been saying was true. It would actually all be clear to them. Jesus says to them in verse 25, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Remember that the disciples, they are currently confused about what Jesus has been saying about his imminent departure. That's the thought behind figures of speech. They have not been able to grasp what Jesus is saying. And the problem has not been with Jesus, rather the inability of the disciples to understand what Jesus has been saying. But they will see Jesus again and it will all click. They will come to grips with a wonderful relationship that they have with the Father and all the privileges and unlimited access that comes with that. They will be able to ask and will receive. See, the disciples will look back at the cross and the cross will actually make sense. They will recognize that as Jesus was hanging there, beaten, bloodied and bruised, that he was taking the punishment for their sins. That Jesus was bringing glory to God as the Lamb of God. They will realize that they can now come into God's presence, welcomed into fellowship, have unlimited access to the Father. And they'll be, they'll be gripped by the love of God for them because they have loved Jesus and believed that he has come from God. At seeing Jesus, the disciples will take heart his words, that he came from the Father into the world and that he now must leave the world and go back to the Father so that he might send his spirit the spirit that we heard last week of the disciples that, that will bring conviction to the disciples and will reveal the truth to the disciples. Jesus is telling his disciples of the uniqueness of Christian joy in that it is a progressing joy to fullness. The disciples are welcomed into the presence of the God of the universe where they can ask the Father and the Father will give. And it's because of Jesus and his work. They are welcomed into fellowship with the God of the universe, into his presence. And in light of this, Jesus tells them to ask that they might receive. Again, verse 24 says, Until now you have asked nothing of me in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. What does Jesus want for his disciples? A full joy. A joy progressing to fullness. Here's a, uh, here's a graph that kind of demonstrates this. It's quite a complex graph, as you can, uh, as you can see. On the, uh, on the y-axis is relationship with God. On the x-axis is joy. And as the relationship with God progresses, 
uh, the joy progresses as well. It's actually directly proportioned. That's one of the things I think that, one of the only things actually I remembered from uh, 12 years of maths and a couple of years of physics at uni, uh, directly proportionate relationships. When they ask God to help them, to obey him, he will do so so that their joy in him will progress to fullness. When they ask God to help them do his work and share the God, as they share the gospel, he will do so and their joy in him will progress to fullness. When they ask that God would help them to persevere till Christ's return, he will do so so their joy in him will progress to fullness. Jesus wants his disciples, their the joy of relationship with God, to progress to fullness as they recognize and live out the wonderful relationship with the Father, asking and receiving in Jesus' name. Brothers and sisters, it's a good time just to, to park the car here and ask ourselves, when was the last time we prayed that kind of prayer? How often do we pray that prayer? See, that, that day has already happened. Jesus has risen, he has ascended on high, and through faith in him, we have the wonderful privilege of relationship with God the Father. And Jesus is calling us to ask, ask the Father, and the promise is that we will receive, receive so that our joy might progress to fullness. When we ask that God would help us to obey him, he will do that, and our joy in him may progress to fullness. When we ask that God might help us love others, especially those who are prickly, he will do so, and our joy in him will progress to fullness. When we ask God to help us do his work as we share the gospel, he will do so, and our joy in him will progress to fullness. When we ask that God would help us to persevere until Christ's return, he will do so, so our joy in him will progress to fullness. Are these the kinds of prayers that you are praying? Have you come to recognize the wonderful privilege it is that you have been welcomed into fellowship with the God of the universe through faith in his Son? He calls you to ask, and the promise is that the Father will give so our joy in him might progress to fullness. How is Christian joy unique? Because it is a joy that progresses to fullness. It is a permanent joy. But how else is the Christian joy unique? It's a robust joy, a joy that is robust even in trouble because it is anchored in Jesus' victorious resurrection. I remember a, a few years ago when these ads, I wonder if you've seen them, started popping up on telly all the time about the ANCAP safety rating, how safe is your car in the case of an accident. And I'd watch the car, you remember, watch the car hitting the, the wall and the, um, the crash test dummy would, uh, you know, uh, would kind of bits, bits kind of flying everywhere uh, on the slow-mo cam. And I wanted, I wanted to know, and I'm sure you probably did too, how safe is your car in the case of an accident? Will it be sturdy enough, strong enough to keep you safe in an accident? Will it be reliable? Is it robust? See, in these final verses, Jesus is telling his disciples that their joy will be robust. It will stand even with the impact of trouble and tribulation. It's because of his victory. See there in verse 33 in the text. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world 
you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And it's remarkable that, that Jesus actually says these things in response to what the uh, disciples have just said. You see, the disciples reckoned that as, as Jesus was talking to them, that they could have instantly uh, permanent and progressing joy. They haven't come to see that Jesus needs to, to suffer and die and be resurrected and ascend to the Father and pour out his Spirit. They reckon that they could have that joy without all the events that will soon follow. I wonder if verse 29 uh, stood out to you as, as uh, Jane read it before. See, his disciples said in verse 29, Ah, now, now, now you, you are speaking plainly and not using figurative language. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. The disciples here, they're saying lots of wonderful and true things about Jesus. You know all things. You don't need anyone to question you. This is why uh, we believe that you came from God. They are making a profession here, but that profession will not hold during the time of testing and tribulation. During that time when Jesus is arrested, they would all fail. And Jesus knows what's going to happen to them. He knows they will fail. And he tells them in verse 31 in our text, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone. Jesus recognises, though, that even though the disciples will leave him alone, he is not alone. Jesus is fully convinced that he is doing his Father's will. That is why the Father will not leave him alone. Even on the cross, Jesus is not alone. The Father is faithful in contrast to the unfaithfulness of the disciples. Jesus is loved by the Father even on the cross. And friends, there's actually there's a, there's a mystery here of how God pours out his wrath on his Son, yet at the same time perfectly loves him because the Son is doing the Father's will. Jesus could not be more loved. He's doing his Father's will. And Jesus knows this, and so emphatically declares in the second half of verse 32, Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Jesus' final words to his disciples is words of grace and hope of peace anchored in his victory. That is how the Christian joy is unique. It is robust, even in trouble. Jesus says to his disciples in verse 33, I have said these things, to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, on the cross, God's wrath will be poured out in full for the sins of his people, so that peace between God and man would now be a reality. Peace in Jesus, in who he is and what he has done. And Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. And I wonder if you notice that Jesus says, that I have already overcome the world. And it's by his perfect submission to the Father as a son. See, his death and resurrection would be that public vindication that he has indeed overcome the world. Even though the world, those who reject Jesus, continue in their unbelief towards him, and even though Jesus' followers would fail, they are reminded to take heart because Jesus has overcome Jesus has the victory. They don't have to overcome the world. They can't. 
They must place their faith firmly in Jesus because he has overcome. It's what he has done, not what they will do or can do. See, the disciples, they're going to have more trouble following this episode. That's the nature of those who follow Jesus. See, the world will ridicule them. They will mock them. They will exclude them for following Jesus. Their families will abandon them. They will disown them and beat them for following Jesus. But they will remember Jesus' words and rest assured. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The gift of joy that they have been given will be robust even in trouble because Jesus has overcome. So brothers and sisters, for some of us here, we might be hard-pressed on every side. Your families have found it hard to come to terms with the fact that you follow Jesus. Your, your housemates, your work or your study colleagues heap insult on you and you're feeling the pressure to conform to the ways of the world. You're feeling the pressure, the strain to keep your faith silent. The joy that Jesus has given you is robust to stand that. It will not fail because Jesus has not failed. Take heart, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. Uh, for others of us who might not be copying it for Jesus, Jesus' reminder for us here, it's not an if you cop flack, but when. And you might be like me and wonder, uh, how would you go under the immense pressure for, for following Jesus like I do? Will I crumble? And this actually reveals the state of our heart because we're looking to our own strength rather than what Jesus has done. Jesus has said, in me you have peace. Jesus has completed the work. So when the time comes, when we face tribulation, let's remind ourselves, take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And for some of us here, rejoicing in that gift of Christian joy is hard and difficult to say the least. You may be experiencing sorrow upon sorrow, grief upon grief, and I'm not sure how difficult your circumstances are. I'm not sure how difficult your situation is. They may be harder than anyone else's in this room, but Jesus knows your sorrow. Jesus knows your pain. Jesus calls you to himself, to his victory. He's calling you to rejoice in the robust joy, even in the face of your sorrow, and your grief and your trouble. Rejoice in him. Rejoice that you have a robust joy that will never be taken away from you through faith in him. How is the Christian joy unique? It is a permanent joy. It is a progressing joy. It is a robust joy anchored in Jesus' victory over death. Now for three years, we had the, uh, the privilege of going to church with a dear believer named Margaret. Every time you spoke with Margaret, you'd know you'd be in for a treat. You could not help but notice the joy that was just beaming from her, just beaming from her because, because of her Redeemer's grace. No matter the week, joy was beaming from Margaret. In the middle of last year, Jesus took Margaret home. At her Thanksgiving service, we'd heard of how Margaret undertook theological training because she wanted to translate the Bible so that others might share in the joy of the Lord. 
We'd heard that as part of her missionary training, she spent four and a half months in a jungle camp in Papua New Guinea where she'd almost lost her life. Yet despite this, she still wanted to translate the Bible. We'd heard how she went to serve in Indonesia working in a small village. And her time in that village was cut short because she fell critically ill from cerebral malaria. We'd heard how she'd, once she'd recuperated, Margaret still stayed in the country serving in a missionary guest house. It was there that she came close to death again when she was set upon by an unwanted intruder. Upon her return to Australia, Margaret was advised not to go back to Indonesia because of recurring bouts of malaria. But Margaret still sought that others might share in the joy of knowing Jesus. She would soon begin teaching Christian religious education, CRE, in the local primary schools. Margaret knew the uniqueness of Christian joy and sought to share it with others despite the trying circumstances that she had been in. Not long before Jesus took Margaret home, uh, we got to visit her in hospital. Even though she looked physically weak, the joy of knowing Jesus was just beaming from her. I asked Margaret if I could read a passage with her, and she obliged. And before I could tell her the passage that I picked with her, that I picked for her, she said, "I want you to read for me Isaiah chapter 40." Little did she know that she was leaving an impression on me that would last a lifetime. Little did she know that she was ministering to me by these words of Isaiah 40. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar in wings like eagles they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Margaret knew and experienced the uniqueness of Christian joy. Do you know that joy? Let's pray. O God, we give thanks for the gift of Christian joy that it is anchored in Christ's victorious resurrection. Please help us this week to rejoice in that, to savour the fact that it is permanent. Help us to ask this week, knowing that you will give so that our joy in you might be complete. O God, we ask that the words of your Son might sink deeply in our hearts this week. In the world... You will have tribulation. But take heart, Jesus says to us. I have overcome the world. Amen.